Chapter Five of Daylight Land by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: The Man in the Velveteen Jacket. A merrier man within the limit of becoming mirth, I have never spent an hour's talk with all. The chiefest charm of travel is found, perhaps, in the novel and entertaining characters that we meet, and the pleasant rencontres which occur the sweetest flowers will not come to us we must go to them they grow in the nooks and corners of fences in cracks and crannies of the rocks in crevices of the cliffs in strange out-of-the-way places where only the eye and the nose of the trailer may find them in respect to human companionship it is the same the quaint the intelligent the charming the original and piquant personalities of the race are not born in groups they are not found in clusters, nor can we call them to our homes. To find them we must travel. We must look them up. We must go where they are. We must put ourselves upon currents which cross their currents, and so, like birds flying at random, be blown together. The finest delight of travel is that of the casual companionships it brings us, the smiles and the bright faces that we see, the kindly hands that we clasp, or the warm hearts that we meet in our need. These make the charm of journeying, the cause of recollections of voyaging to be so delightful. And this man, this man in the velveteen jacket, was such a gift to our party. It is true he had come to us recommended as no other man might be. His introduction accredited him to our fellowship as the word of a king might not do and from the moment he entered our circle it was as one who belonged there, as one who filled a place that had waited for him and remained unfilled until he came, and into it he dropped without undue familiarity on the one hand, and without the least awkwardness or embarrassment on the other. His manners were simply charming, because of a happy mingling of modesty and self-possession. He was a natural humorist, his humor was so quaint that it amused, and so gravely expressed that it puzzled. As you looked at his face and listened to the tones of his voice, you were divided in feeling as to whether you were listening to fiction or to fact, and even amid your laughter at the ludicrousness of the creation, you found yourself querying whether the source of the fun at which you were laughing was not found in some serious occurrence. "'You did it well,' said the judge, referring to his contest with the trout. You never made a miss with eye or finger. You handled the rod as only a man can who has handled it from boyhood. The man in the velveteen jacket looked at the judge for a moment, with the most mirthful of lights in his eyes, as one who found in his positive assertion a suggestion of fun, which all of us appreciated at the judge's expense when he remarked, I am happy to think that my manner of fighting the fish met the approbation of an old angler like yourself but as measured by time I would scarcely be regarded as an expert, for I never touched a rod until I was twenty-five. Incredible! exclaimed the judge. Why, sir, I have always maintained that no man could become an expert with a rod unless he began practice with it as a boy, grew up with it, as it were. Nevertheless, continued the stranger pleasantly, the fact is, as I have stated it, until I was twenty-five I used a gun, shooting was a passion with me it was my favorite pastime and i presume i should never have used the rod at all which i have done exclusively since a certain event 
unless i had met with a great misfortune caused by a dog a misfortune which made me lose all taste for shooting and the sight of a bird-dog absolutely disagreeable to me yes gentlemen continued the man in the velveteen jacket earnestly my last experience with a dog was a most unfortunate one and although years have elapsed since i met it i cannot recall it even at this distance of time without an involuntary shudder strange that a man's life can be seriously affected by what seems at the start a trivial event but i assure you that my profession the location of my residence and my domestic connection are all to-day different from what they would have been had i never met that dog it is needless to say that the astonishing statement of our companion excited our curiosity to a degree and our looks doubtless plainly appraised him of the fact for after a moment's pause he took his pipe from his mouth and having emptied the ashes into the cuspidor as carefully as if he were smoking in a friend's parlour with his friend's wife sitting in the next room in exact range of the door which commanded his position he continued perhaps it is only fair that i should satisfy your curiosity which i see i have awakened by what may seem to you an extraordinary statement and if it will entertain you to hear a story which has little to recommend it save its novelty and its sadness i will at the cost of painful reminiscence tell it to you upon this the judge who because of the dignity of his official position as well as of his years and i may add the urbanity of his manners was by mutual assent of us all regarded as a natural spokesman of the party replied i must confess that i am curious to hear the story of the dog or of your experiences with the dog and i doubt not that all the gentlemen here share the sentiment with me and if your feelings will allow you to satisfy our curiosity i beg you to do so for it does seem extraordinary that a dog should be able to influence a man's life to such an extent as to change the direction of his activities and even affect his domestic environment you must know then gentlemen resumed the man that i studied for the practice of medicine and was engaged to the daughter of a noted physician who lived in the northern section of vermont and enjoyed a large and lucrative country practice he was a man of large attainments and of a high spirit his only daughter was a young lady of unusual beauty and had been endowed at birth with a liberal share of her father's abilities and his excitable temperament she was a lovely girl and being sole heiress prospectively to the old doctor's property was much courted by her gentlemen acquaintances when therefore our engagement became known i was with good reason heartily congratulated by the generous and cordially hated by the envious i had just been graduated at the medical school and at the close of my summer vacation it was arranged that the lady and myself should be married this would enable me to begin my practice under her father the old doctor whose business would then naturally in the course of time fall into my hands i submit gentlemen if any young man ever stood face to face with a more auspicious future i was soon to be united to a beautiful girl with an ample fortune and thereby admitted to a professional connection which was both gratifying to my vanity and satisfactory to my ambition and even now after years have passed i cannot recall without emotion that i lost wife and fortune and that a most beautiful arrangement of providence was disturbed 
broken up smashed so to speak by a miserable dog by this time as can well be imagined we were all of us intensely interested in the gentleman's narrative we felt that his had been no common experience but that in the life of the man in the velveteen jacket there was embodied a series of startling mishaps and that however he might strive to disguise it by forced calmness of voice or restraint of feature we were nevertheless about to listen to the recital of a lifelong bereavement perhaps of a tragedy we therefore drew our circle more closely round him that we might not lose a single word that came from his lips and i could see that the judge who was endowed with acute sensibilities had prophetically sensed what was coming for his eyes glistened appreciatively behind his glasses and his large checked silk handkerchief was spread carefully over his plump knees ready to his hand it all happened in this way he continued after a moment's silence devoted doubtless by him to sad recollections it all happened in this way a few days after commencement when i had everything packed and was ready to go to the doctor's to make the preliminary arrangements for the wedding a club of fellow sportsmen invited me to dinner i had of course a most enjoyable evening i believe there was not a man at the table over whose dog i had not shot and between the speeches the songs the anecdotes and the reminiscences of flood and field our mirthfulness was unbounded all knew of the good fortune ahead of me and each and every one i verily believe heartily rejoiced at it amid all the changes of life said the man in the velveteen jacket reflectively amid all the changes of life and the passage of years which have obliterated much i have never forgotten that happy evening or the features of a single face around those tables amen exclaimed the judge who was himself a noted sportsman amen to the noble sentiment there is no comradeship like that of the woods and waters no friendship like that of outdoor men and the old sportsman's eulogy was greeted by the applause of us all the next morning i was at my bank getting a check cashed en route for the depot and being pressed for time was getting hurriedly into a coop at the door when two friends as a committee appointed by the club rushed up to the carriage having a large pointer dog and a speech to deliver to me i hastily explained my position to them that i hadn't a minute to spare and that i must reach the train that the coop was full of parcels and baskets that i was truly grateful but i did not see how i could make room i am not sure that my friends heard me clearly for there was a great noise in the street and the driver who knew that there wasn't an instant to lose had started his horse be that as it may the dog was delivered to me for unfortunately the window of the coop was open and my two friends seizing the dog in their hands pushed him with great merriment through the aperture throwing a huge parchment pedigree into my lap at the same time as might be expected the dog was considerably disturbed when he landed in the carriage one muddy forefoot went in between my shirt front and white vest the other lanced along the back side of my neck his right hind foot was buried in a basket of grapes and his left hand ploughed through a huge and costly bouquet of flowers bursting the band which held them together still i reflected that the dog wasn't to blame for being so unceremoniously thrust through a window and the motive on the part of my friends which prompted the gift was touching 
so I collected the different parts of the dog as much as I could, brought him to one centre, as it were, and pressing him down between my legs, tied him by a neck-rope to a big telescope valise on the seat beside me. I had just got the dog safely fixed in this manner, and was collecting the scattered flowers, when the coop thundered up to the depot. The Jehu jumped from his box and threw open the door, crying, "'Hurry up, sir! Not a minute to spare!' I grabbed the basket of grapes in one hand, my hat-box in the other, and jumped to the pavement, but the dog was as anxious to get out as I was, for as I was making my exit he bolted between my legs. My big valise was yanked from the seat, and striking me between the shoulders knocked me on top of the dog. Thinking I had done it on purpose, he whipped his tail between his legs and rushed into the depot, yelling at every jump, with the valise thumping along after him, while I plunged for it in order to recapture the dog. Now there happened to be a big corpulent hackman carrying a huge trunk on his shoulders across the platform, and my dog, like an infernal idiot, fetched a circle clean round his legs, and then started to jump the track. The man's feet were jerked from under him, the big trunk dropped heavily to the platform and burst open, and my valise flew around and hit him in the stomach as he sat down while the dog, who had begun to feel that he was being unjustly treated, doubled back and charged at the big hackman with bared teeth and a tail stiff as a ramrod. I never saw a madder man or a worse muss in my life. The hackman addressed me in a language which was simply frightful, and I was inexpressibly grateful when, with the help of a brakeman, I succeeded in getting that dreadful dog into the baggage car and saw him lashed safely to a stanchion. The flowers were lost, the basket of grapes was left behind, my clothes were tracked all over as if I had served as a mat to a dog-kennel, and my poor valise looked as tired as a compositor at four o'clock in the morning. I got an express tag and wrote my name on it, and where I was going, gave the dog some water and the baggage-master two dollars to put him off carefully at the station where I was to stop and then I went back to the parlor car and spent an hour with the porter in getting the dog tracks off my wardrobe. Well, along in the afternoon, when we had got well up into Vermont, the train stopped at a small station for wood and water. I strolled forward to see if my dog was all right and make his acquaintance a little. To my horror, I discovered that a new baggage man had come aboard, and, reading the directions wrongly, had put my dog off at a village nearly fifty miles back in New Hampshire. There was only one thing to do, and that was to go back after him. Fortunately, the down train was due in a few moments, and when it came in I boarded it. I reached the town about seven in the evening, and not a bit too soon, for my dog had already made a record for himself, and was acting in a manner to secure an obituary notice of at least a column in length at the next issue of the village paper. The station-master had received him from the baggage-man, and not knowing to whom he should deliver him, had very properly tied him to a trunk in the baggage-room, locked him in, and gone home. In two or three hours he became tired of waiting, and gnawing his rope in two went out through the window, taking half the sash with him. No sooner had he touched the ground than the station-master's dog pitched upon him, and after a short experience he started up the principal street of the village. As near the center as a dog in a hurry could estimate, with my dog in exact line and only one jump behind him, the two had gone into the station-agent's house, as near the same instant as they could have done if they had practiced a hundred years. The man was at supper with his family, 
in the act of saying grace, and when the two dogs went under the table, they lifted it as much as three feet up in the air. The agent's wife went into hysterics, his oldest daughter fainted where she sat, and the man, without waiting to collect his own dog, chased mine into the street with a shotgun in his hand, yelling, Mad dog! Mad dog! at the top of his voice. He undoubtedly would have killed my dog had he not stopped to take aim, and it was owing to his slight mistake, probably, that my dog escaped with his life. I never knew how I got out of that town alive, for I insulted every man that spoke to me and got into two fights while the light lasted. But I did, and had the dog with me, too, for I was pretty hot over the treatment we both had received in that village, and, moreover, I hold that every man ought to stand by his dog. "'That's right,' said the judge as he wiped his eyes. "'Yes, every man ought to stand by his dog, in court and out of court.' and for several minutes the man in the velveteen jacket was unable to proceed because of the emotions his story had elicited from those who sat listening to his vivid narration. But all this, he resumed at length, all this, in itself considered, was of very little importance, nothing more than any man who has had a dog with a pedigree given him might expect to have happened. I would not even have mentioned it, were it not that it is necessary you should know these preceding trivialities in order that you may appreciate what follows, and understand how it was that the dog ruined me, and I became an angler. I got the dog home at last and put him into the hospital, for he had been considerably rattled and was out of repairs, so to speak. So I wrote to my fiancée that I was unexpectedly detained from my anticipated visit by a sprained ankle but that I had the ankle under treatment and would surely be with her the next week. I also told her that I had been presented with a beautiful pointer dog, one of the liveliest and brightest animals I had ever met, and that I would bring my pet over when I came, and I pleasantly added the following, P.S. How delightful it is, my darling, that both of us have a pet. You a favorite cat, I an amiable dog with which to begin our married life and enliven our domestic circle. Alas, how little, exclaimed the man in the velveteen jacket plaintively, how little can we mortals anticipate what is ahead of us. The dog was one of those irrepressible specimens of canine exuberance that you could but admire, he continued. He was a born hunter, if there ever was one. He was nobly free from partiality, and hunted one class of objects as readily as another. All sense of his nose meant game. An old hen was a delight to his soul, and a calf kept his spirits from depression. A stray pig was a godsend, and a timid, half-broken colt threw him into ecstasies. But if there was one thing on the earth that he yearned for more than another, it was a cat." A large, well-built, positive-minded, masculine cat represented a whole hemisphere of game to him. He was a bird-dog nominally, but practically his pedigree starred him with universal adaptations. Nevertheless, at the sight of a cat he became super-sensitive, and at that moment there was no hesitation in him. He acted spontaneously and in a straight line. At such an opportunity he was always at full cock and went off himself. Then it was that he seemed possessed of a human soul, and to realize that beautiful mortal maxim that he who hesitates is lost. Oh, Lord, said the judge, 
and reaching up to his linen duster he extracted a fresh handkerchief. It was not because there was any remarkable humor in the story that the man in the velveteen jacket was telling that we were affected so strongly, but because of his happy mannerism in telling it, and the lightness of our own dispositions, for he told it with a quaintness of expression and a lightness of touch that left nothing to be desired by the hearer, and all of us were in a mind to be tickled, and hence we received the reflections of his humor as water receives the sky and I have often noted that the humor of the humorist and that of the audience equally contribute to the laughter that ensues. Be this as it may, we all laughed with an abandonment of children at the narrative he was telling, and when he began again, he did so with an even quicker movement and a livelier manner of expression. If it were fiction he was narrating, he had evidently begun to enjoy it as if it were real, and if it were fact, the original sadness of the event was now wholly obliterated by the mirthfulness of the recollection. "'A happier man than I never breathed the morning air,' he resumed, "'when I started across the country to visit the home of my betrothed. I pictured to myself as I swung along the country road the joy of our meeting and the happiness of our future lives. I knew that the old doctor had a temper like a Turk, and that my beloved was impulsive.' but I reflected with satisfaction that the one could not, in the order of nature, live forever, and that the earnest temperament of the other would doubtless be mollified by the softening influence of my example. My dog, to which I had already become attached, shared the buoyancy of my spirits. He fastened himself joyfully on to every calf that he met, and abbreviated the tail of every chicken he encountered. The whole country grew profane in his wake, and I knew that every shotgun was being loaded for his return. Happy in the excitement that he created, he distributed his favors on either side of the road with ingenious impartiality, and hunted with equal zest the pigs in the meadows and the cats in the porches. The dogs that limped into their kennels after he had passed were dazed with the quickness of their experience and I doubt not that the religious element of that section remembers to this day his advent as a visitation. I shall never be able, gentlemen, to make you understand what happened. Even to me, after years of reflection, it remains a nightmare of wild sights and savage sounds, a kaleidoscopic mixture of colors and forms, a vision of a dreadful meeting and a more awful parting, a meeting and a parting which, from the circumstances of the case, could never be repeated. With fond anticipations I turned the corner in the road, and suddenly stood within a few rods of the house. And there, gentlemen, oh, there was my fiancée waving her handkerchief to me, while the old doctor, seated in his gig, was proudly showing off the paces of a half-broken four-year-old colt he had recently purchased. Impelled by feelings too strong to be restrained, I swung my hat joyfully over my head and gave a cheerful halloo and rushed forward. That infernal idiot of a dog, hearing my cry, seeing me swinging my hat and rushing down the road, went for that prancing colt like a freckled meteor. The colt saw him coming and gave a tremendous bound, and as the dog went under him in a cloud of dust, he opened two holes as big as a hat through the dashboard of the gig and then bolted down the road. Never did I see a horse and a dog lay themselves lower down to the ground. Each was running from a motive, and each had an object in view, 
under such favorable conditions their pace was terrific and both attended strictly to business the old doctor was standing up in the gig his stubbly gray hair pointing toward the home he was leaving pulling like a windlass at the reins his linen duster flying behind him and a stream of small bottles pouring out of each pocket i stood hat in hand aghast at the sight but i swear to you gentlemen had i died for it the next minute i could not have helped it laughing until the tears stood in my eyes suddenly i looked at my betrothed and then nearly dropped i saw by the look on her face that it was all up with me that my world had stopped that the sun would never more rise on the hills of my love she thought i had set that miserable dog on the colt she never opened her mouth but silently went into the house i followed i spoke as a man naturally would in such circumstances there was no haughtiness in my voice she simply turned and looked at me gentlemen there was no love in her eyes not a trace then she said sir still i fought for my life wife and fortune were trembling in the balance i saw it i pleaded i knelt yes i knelt at her feet i poured out my vows i seized her unwilling hand i saw i was making headway she began to relent there was a chance a fighting chance as it were my heart bounded with hope gentlemen i should have won i give you my word i should have won by a close calculation of chances you can see i should have won when suddenly i heard a sound a sound i recognized and glancing toward the door there there stood that damnable dog and that wasn't the worst of it he was looking at something looking steadily and fixedly at something with that coppery and unearthly look in his eyes i had grown to know so well involuntarily i followed the direction of his gaze and great caesar's ghost there under the center table i saw my fiancee's cat a monstrous masculine cat as yellow as saffron and ugly as satan gentlemen you would like to know what followed i cannot tell you it was bedlam let loose in that beautiful home my betrothed gave one scream as a dog and cat met then fainted i managed to get her out of the room and into the hands of a servant at the other end of the house and then i went back and looked into the apartment there was nothing to be seen but revolving remnants of furniture and an atmosphere of yellow and brown which occasionally condensed itself in the centre and then broke again into concentric rings but i knew what was there nevertheless i knew that in that yellow and brown atmosphere there were two separate individual entities and that they were anatomically hostile and chemically opposite that sooner or later those two entities would be resolved into their elements or would lie on that floor side by side dead and that there would be woe in that house and that it was no place for me to be found in after the old doctor had returned under such awful circumstances i left the house i never went back to it for the next morning i heard that the doctor had been brought home in a cart and that distributed resemblances to a cat had been collected and buried in the garden no tidings reached me of my dog and i believed him to be dead but i was mistaken 
i packed my valise i started for the train with the feeling of a man who has lost all and to whom therefore no venture has the terror of a risk i determined to leave the country forever and come west for there i reflected if anywhere on earth amid new scenes pursuits and companionship i should be able to forget the miseries of the past or school myself to endurance with these thoughts in my mind i hurried to the depot for the whistle of the express had already sounded and hastily paying for my ticket started for the platform when great heavens what should i see but that irrepressible dog jauntily trotting across the village common with his eye open for adventure and evidently seeking his unfortunate master and this is the reason gentlemen why i gave up shooting and became an angler at the closing word the signal sounded the train stopped under a strong application of the brakes on the banks of a magnificent stream which tumbled down from the mountains in a succession of jumps into wide deep pools keep the trout exclaimed the man gaily as he swung himself down from the railing and landed amid wild flowers that bloomed as high as his waist keep the trout for your larder i shall duplicate the string before evening give us your card yelled the judge as the train started and he flung his own pasteboard upon the track give us your card how shall i know where to find you next summer i haven't any card returned the stranger calling pleasantly to us as the train receded but come next year to the nipigon and bring all your friends and you'll find the man in the velveteen jacket on one of the pools End of chapter five